you for that music. Really, really appreciate it. Uh, I can add a question to that. Is how long has it been since we've told somebody about the gospel of Jesus Christ? And that's what I'll be talking about here tonight. Uh, if you would, if you could turn your Bibles with me, please, to Romans chapter number one. I'm always excited for the opportunities I get to preach, but I always get super nervous, and the Lord knows it. Um, but I'm thankful that He's called me and my wife um, to the youth pastor, and uh, it's been a uh, real joy for us in doing that and, and speaking and having an influence and a part of these teenagers and working with them. So I uh, covet your prayers and ask that you continue praying for us, uh, but know that God is working in, in us and in the teens, I believe, and we're just praying that he'll continue to do more. Uh, and I always, uh, I usually most of the time like to say and always give the glory back to God, and um, I know a lot of you didn't know me growing up, but if you did, what I'm doing today is just awing to me. I can't believe it sometimes. Getting in front of people is just, I, God just has a sense of humor knowing how shy I was, and <laughs> this is what he called me to do. I'm like, really, Lord? <laughs> but okay, whatever you want. But I'm excited, and it's always a joy to preach it. But uh, Romans chapter number one is where we're going to be tonight. I've entitled the message, A Belief That Drives, or Driven to Preach the Gospel. Our text tonight, we're going to be in several different spots, but our main text for tonight is going to be in Romans chapter number one. And we're going to start reading verse number 13. Romans chapter 1 and verse number 13. If you're there, can you say amen? Amen. Amen. All right. Sounds like everybody's there. Romans chapter number 1. If you would with me, please look at verse number 13. We'll read down to verse number 17. I'll say one more word of prayer, and then we'll get into what I believe God has for us tonight. Romans chapter 1, verse 13. It says, Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was let hitherto that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. Verse 15, So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. To the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we thank you for the opportunity once again just to be here in church. I thank you for uh, those who just made it a purpose just to be here tonight. And Lord, I just pray that uh, I understand this is always a big responsibility to be behind this pulpit, Lord, and to preach your word. And so uh, you know how much... Uh, so I get nervous, speak fast, and uh, uh, trip over my words, and I just pray, Lord, that you would just help me just to teach with clarity. I pray that this isn't something that's confusing, Lord, even though it's so basic and simple, Lord. I pray that's something that's clear to the church here tonight, and Lord, I pray that it's something that we just wouldn't be hearers of only, but doers of well. Help us not to leave these church doors. If you're speaking to us, help us to make the differences apply what you want us to fix, and we'll just give you glory for that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, well, in Romans chapter number one here, we find Paul writing to those who are at Rome, and we find that he's writing to these guys about preaching the gospel, and what he's doing right now is he's letting them know, Paul is letting those who are at Rome know his desire to preach to them the gospel. And he says that he is ready to preach the gospel. And kind of my question tonight would, uh, would be is, do you and I still believe in the power of the gospel? Do you and I still believe in the power of the gospel? 
And if we do, shouldn't it drive us? Shouldn't that belief in, in we know that the gospel still works, shouldn't that cause us to go out there and preach it if it works? And that only makes logical sense that if we truly believe that the gospel of Christ still saves souls, we should be telling them about the gospel. And so what I want us to notice here is that when Paul is writing, we don't just see that he's sharing his desire. I mean, if you, if you read the tone and, and you hear the language of what Paul is saying, if you look at verse number uh, 16 again, or verse 15, it says, So as much as in me is, I am ready. I'm ready to preach the gospel uh, to you that are at Rome also. I'm not ashamed. And you just see his confidence in the gospel. You see his confidence in the gospel. And so Paul shares to those at Rome his desire to give them the gospel and his desire that he has to share the gospel. I would submit to you and I, myself, that we should have the same desire as Paul to preach the gospel to all the world. You and I have been given, called, commanded, and chosen. You don't have to turn to these verses. Actually, go ahead and turn with me. Go to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. I just want to share with you really quick here how we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. I want you to look with me at verse number 17. This is our desire, but it's also something that Christ and God has given to us. It's a ministry, preaching the gospel, the ministry of reconciliation. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter number 5 and verse number 17. It says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ... He is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. And here it is. And hath given to us, Christians, those who believed on his name, the children of the light. He has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. You and I have been given from God, given from Christ, the ministry of reconciliation. Go to Mark chapter number 1. We're going to turn a little bit here for the, the beginning part. Go to Mark chapter number 1. And look with me at verse number 16. Mark chapter number 1. We should have the same desire as Paul has to share the gospel. But I'm sharing with you a couple of verses here that talks about our calling of preaching the gospel. Our calling, our ministry of reconciliation. In Mark chapter number 1, we see that you and I have been called to be what's called fishers of men. Mark chapter number 1, look at verse number 16. Now as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And that's what God intends to make each and every single one of us in this room, fishers of men. It is our calling to be fishers of men. God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. This is the well-known one, just a couple of pages back in your Bible. Go to Matthew chapter number 28. The Great Commission. The Great Commission. We've been given the ministry of reconciliation. We've been called to be fishers of men. And we've been commanded to preach the gospel to the whole world. Look at Matthew chapter number 28 and verse number 18. The Great Commission. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore, as a result, because all powers and authority has been given to him, we go therefore, and we should teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. 
So we see that we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. We've been called to be fishers of men. We've been commanded to preach the gospel of the world. And three different, three different pages here. Go to John chapter number 15. These are all going to be in the book of John. Or the last one, we'll turn back to Matthew. And then we'll kind of pause in our Bible turning. But go to John chapter number 15 right now. We've also been chosen to be the light of the world. Chosen to be the light of the world. Look at John chapter number 15. And I'm going to give you a background before I share with you the main text in Matthew 5. So it makes a little bit more sense. Look at John chapter number 15 and look at verse number 19. It says, If you were of the world, the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. God has chosen us now to be the light of the world. Go to John chapter number 9. John chapter number 9, same book, a couple pages back, and we'll take a pause here and where, where we're turning. John chapter number 9, I want you to see this for yourself. Look at verse number 4. John chapter 9, verse number 4. He says, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. Verse number 5, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Well, guess what? Jesus isn't in the world anymore. He literally doesn't dwell us through the Holy Spirit, but he's ascended. Praise the Lord, he's living God. Praise the Lord that he didn't stay dead in the grave, but three days later, he rose, he resurrected. He was seen of men, over 500 at once. And the Bible teaches that after the 40 days, after he resurrected, he ascended unto heaven to the right hand of God. And the, him, him being the light is God, but now he's chosen us. If you go with me one more book here, go to Matthew chapter number uh, 5. Matthew chapter number 5, then we'll go back to Romans 1. Matthew chapter number 5, as long as he was in the world, he was a light, but Jesus Christ physically is now in heaven. But look at Matthew chapter number 5, well-known, verse number 13, and it says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost the savor, wherewithal shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing, but it be cast out, and it be trodden under the foot of men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Thing came off. Neither do men light a candle and hide it under a bushel. Verse number 15. But on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So clearly, through these passages, we've seen that there is a calling on us Christians to be fishers of men, to do the ministry of reconciliation. And by the way, that means bringing sinners to Christ and restoring their relationship to God. Preaching the gospel like Paul is doing. I am ready to preach the gospel to you guys at Rome. He was called to be a fisherman. We're all called to be fishermen. Preach the gospel to the whole world. We have, we've been given the ministry of reconciliation, and we've been chosen to be, light, to be the light of this world. Now, Jesus was that light, but he's ascended into heaven, and you and I now are to be the light of the world. Now, Clarence Sexton said this, the world owes us as Christians, us Christians, the world owes us nothing, but we owe the world the message of salvation. That's what Clarence Sexton said. The world owes us nothing, but we, who have the ministry of reconciliation, who've been called to be fishers of men, who've been commanded to preach the gospel, who are the lights of this world, we owe the world the message of salvation. We owe it to them. And Paul understood that. He said he was ready to preach the gospel to them that are at Rome. More than that, what I want us to notice again is Paul's confidence. This is what I want to talk about tonight, is Paul's confidence in the gospel. 
He believed in the gospel so much that it gave him, it literally gave him the desire to preach it. Now, where did his confidence come from? Well, he believed that the gospel still had the power to change lives. And I wanted to pause here and take the moment, and I've shared with you as much as I can, uh, but just uh, testimonies of people who have received Christ. And I want to let you know, just this last Monday of school, uh, I had an eighth grader. I've been going to the book of Romans now, actually. And I had an eighth grader, and, and I gave the invitation. A young eighth grader came to me after class and said, Mr. Castillo, this is just this last Monday, another one, who says he wasn't sure if he was saved. I was able to talk to him very briefly, and I led him to uh, uh, Mr. Ross. And Mr. Ross was able to give him the gospel, and he accepted Christ as a Savior, an eighth grader. The gospel still works. I preached it in the eighth grade class, and he got saved. Uh, one of the tenth graders I've told you about, uh, his name, Jordan Rains, he's in tenth grade, and... He received Christ as a Savior the second day of school. Just came up to me, said, Mr. Castillo, I need to get saved. And since that time, he's been a changed student, completely changed. Every day after class, constantly asking me questions about the Bible, constantly. Every day after class, constantly telling Mr. Castillo, is this okay to do? Is this not okay? Is this okay to do? And honestly, every time he asks me, I'm just mind blown by this guy. I'm thinking, man, look at the, look at the power of the gospel and how it changed this 10th grader's life. He's a completely brand new creature. Behold, all things are made new. All things are passed away. The old things are passed away. He was a brand new creature. There is another ninth grader who received Christ as a savior. And this young man, uh, a lot of the teachers know, uh, just seemed to be kind of a little bit down on himself, didn't really have much confidence. And then he came to me the second week of school and told me some problems going on in his life. And I was able to show him his need for Christ. And he got saved and a lot of teachers have known it too, is academics have shot up, getting A's, which is unheard of, getting hundreds on tests, um, 98's on book reports, and he's a happy kid, always smiling. And once again, when I see that, man, the power of the gospel, it still has power to change lives. Amen. And, and I, every, every single one of these testimonies, all it does, all it should do for us is give us more confidence to go out there and preach it even more. Now, seeing that, people still get saved. I remember when I was working my first job at fast food in California. Uh, it was a really sketchy fast food place. Uh, there wasn't an in, in, inside dining area. It was only outdoors. It was kind of one of those tiny kitchens. It was well known for chili dogs, uh, chili cheese dogs, chili burgers. Anybody fans of those? Chili? Okay, chili. Well, it was, it was a good place. I enjoyed it. I had the four to uh, midnight shift, eight hours, and I'd be closing, me and my manager, a lot. And, uh, you know, this place, just giving you an example of, uh, you know, just just rough people around. Um, I, I remember my manager working with me, and not every place does this, but he says, if anybody wants water, I mean, you would think we'd just give him a cup of water for free, right? But he told me you have to charge him one quarter for it. And me wanted to please my manager. Uh, believe it or not, there's around probably almost midnight, closing time. We're getting ready to close. Uh, some young man comes to the window of where we're working. He said, hey, can I have some water? And my manager, I kind of look back. I'm like, yeah, uh, but I need a quarter. This guy lost it. I mean, lost it on me. And I was worried for my life there. He, he, he literally, and we have a tiny kitchen, he literally tried to break into the kitchen because he just wanted to punch me so bad because I told him a quarter for, wa for water. You know, and this place was just, there was just rough people around this place. Uh, but I bring that up because there was one night uh, where I was closing and, uh, you know, I didn't have my car yet. I wasn't driving. I had to wait for rides and especially after midnight wasn't the best. But I just remember my manager, we all closed up. He left, and it was just me, and we closed up. And there's a man sitting on the outside court, or, or dining area outside. 
And once again, uh, it just, just kind of looked rough. You know, nothing bad about it. It just kind of looked rough. And, of course, me looking like a little child, always intimidated because I'm like, who is this guy here? I'm thinking, who is this guy? And so I kind of, you know, just sit and just kind of keep my eye on him, kind of checking my phone, waiting for my ride. And believe it or not, the Lord starts telling me, go witness to him. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to witness to this guy. I have no idea who he is. It's, it's past midnight. No way. And tell me, go preach, go witness to this guy. This Lord, please, I don't want to do this. Please, I don't. And of course, okay, I obeyed the Lord. And, you know, I went and I say it like it's a bad thing, but it was good. Okay, I obeyed the Lord. And I went to this man and I just started talking to him. Nicest guy ever. Nicest guy ever. You know, don't ever judge a book by its cover. And, and I gave him the gospel that night. This guy got saved and I was just, this past midnight, it's me and him are the only people here. And I gave him the gospel. He received Christ. And I'm just thinking, what in the world? What in the world? You know, me thinking in unbelief, thinking there's no way this guy's going to want to listen to me. There's no way this guy's going to be interested. And he accepts Christ as his Savior. Why? Because there is power in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's still, it had power, it has power, and it's always going to have power. The gospel of Christ has power. Let me share you, uh, with, with you one more story. Uh, some of you guys remember Brother John Canavan, who's a missionary, him and his wife, who came here recently, me and him knowing each other, because uh, we did what's called Summer Jewish Outreach in New York for two summers. I stayed in Brooklyn one year, and then the next year I stayed in Long Island. Just the entire summer is dedicated to preaching to Jewish people. And so I got to learn the Old Testament very well, because if you think you could witness the Jewish people using the New Testament, no. Okay, they will not hear it. Uh, but this is something I think, to me personally, is really silly. But I posted a status on Facebook, which I never do anymore. But I posted it a long time ago, and uh, it was it was a post about how I led some lady to the Lord. But I just want to read it to you. It says, uh, "This is what I wrote." It says, uh, "Well, for the first day of summer Jewish outreach in New York, Long Island, I got car dirt on my pants. Subway food store didn't take debit, and that's all I had. Didn't have cash." It took like 30 minutes for me to find an ATM and get cash out after it charged me about $3. I bought Subway, left my full drink in the parking lot. Food got sort of smashed in the car, ran out of napkins. And don't ask me how this next part happened. But I ended up wiping my hands on a bush full of thorns and scraped up my hands. I'm sometimes oblivious. Some of y'all know that. I stained my pants again with food. I left my map and tracking sheet, which some of y'all don't know what that is, but... is vital to have it in, in the summer Jewish outreach. I left my map and tracking sheet in a car when I really needed it. My backpack zipper decided to refuse to work. And uh, all the packets that I had in there was a hassle just to get them out. I had no drink. I was really, really thirsty. And the very last house I knocked on happened to be an elderly Gentile lady whom I got to lead to the Lord. She quickly stated after salvation, Lord, I feel like running. And she gave me four cold water bottles, and it was all worth it. Praise the Lord. That was a status I put on Facebook a while back, and I remember that day vividly. I just remember feeling like I'm so upset. This is annoying, having a terrible day. On the last door I knocked that day before we left home back to the church uh, out there in Long Island, this lady accepted Christ as her Savior. And I just remember thinking, besides my bad attitude, besides who I am and how I messed up, the gospel still worked. This lady accepted Christ as her Savior. God still has the power to change lives. Do you still believe that? Do you truly believe that there is power in the gospel of Jesus Christ? We have the confidence. Do we have the confidence that Paul does? Would you say, I'm ready to preach the gospel? 
I'm not ashamed of it, and I'll get into some of the points here, but do we believe and have confidence like Paul had in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Would you go out and preach it today in the times that we're living in? Because they're tough times. Would you truly believe that it still has the power to save people even today? And I just want to give with you tonight reasons why. Three reasons why you and I should be driven to preach the gospel to others. Number one, if you go back to Romans with me, Romans chapter number one, I want to give you three reasons tonight why we should be driven to preach the gospel to others. And number one, we can find our answer to that in the first part of the verse. Look at verse number 16. Romans chapter number one, verse number 16. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. You know, there are things in our gospel that we preach that other people may have a problem with. However, you and I shouldn't be ashamed of these things. Because if you're ashamed of what our gospel contains, you'll never preach it. You'll never teach it to others. And why was Paul driven to preach the gospel? Because, number one, he wasn't ashamed to. He wasn't ashamed. Let me just give you ideas. Not that I'm ashamed, because I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. But let me just give you ideas of why maybe uh, you could be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, because according to John 14, 6, where Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes into the Father but by me, we should not be ashamed in that our gospel teaches there is one way to heaven. I'm not ashamed of that. This world does teach that there are many ways or roads and pathways that, leads, that lead to heaven, but our gospel doesn't teach that. Our gospel teaches that there is one way, there is one door, one shepherd, his name is Jesus Christ. I mean, you can read it in John chapter number 10. Anybody who tries to go into heaven, you know, not going through the door, is considered a thief. And our gospel teaches that there is one way to heaven. I'm not ashamed of that. Our gospel also teaches that all men have sinned before God. People don't like hearing that. And sometimes in the, in the world that we live in, we can kind of get offended by that. We're not worried about other people getting offended. We're more worried about them offending us for what our gospel teaches. But once again, Paul is saying here, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And these are things that I believe some people could be uh, uh, offended by, but that we, you and I should not be ashamed by. We're not ashamed to preach the gospel, even though it teaches about a man who taught that all men were sinners, and yet he was perfect and sinless. You know, people don't like to hear that. You know, we're all sinners, but Jesus Christ, he was perfect. I mean, the Bible teaches that in Hebrews 4, 12, and 13, that he was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. He was supposed to be the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. These are just some reasons that other people get, could get offended and why you and I might be ashamed to teach it because we don't like to tell people that there's only one way to heaven. We don't like to tell people that there are sinners before God. I'm not ashamed in that my gospel teaches how a real man named Jesus Christ, who 2021 is coming up here, and we base that time, if you didn't know, on Jesus Christ. But a real man named Jesus Christ died a cruel death and rose again the third day. And some people mock it. Some people think it's fake or not true, but I'm not ashamed to preach it as true because it is true. And there's a lot of people who believe in what's called the theft lie, the swoon theory. There's so many theories about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but our gospel as Christians teach of a real man named Jesus Christ who walked the planet 2020-ish years ago, who died a cruel death on that cross, and he rose again the third day. But other people might think somebody really rose from the dead. I can't believe something like that. And sometimes out of fear of telling people that, we don't preach it. Which really saying, you're ashamed of the fact that our gospel teaches about a man who resurrected from the dead. We're, we shouldn't be ashamed that our, that our gospel teaches one way to heaven. 
We shouldn't be ashamed that our gospel teaches that all men are sinners. And this is just not even a full list, but just giving you some examples of what could offend other people and what might make you and I ashamed of preaching it. But Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you and I shouldn't be either. So number one, he was driven to preach the gospel to others because he was not ashamed to do so. Number two, which is the best one, because it is the power of God. It's the power of God. Look with me at, at verse number 16 again. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You see, the gospel is a demonstration. I love this. The gospel is a demonstration of God's power. How? Well, look at us sitting here right now in this church. Who, whose lives have been changed. You and I are living demonstrations of the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, of God. He has the power to change us. Like I just told you, some people whose lives have been changed. Paul is a demonstration too. You can read his testimony in Acts 26. And I told him many of, of those who he knew. You guys knew who I was when I was younger, my, my mannerisms, what I was like. How, how I, you know, shut up the Christians in jail, persecuting them when they were put to death. I, I, my voice was there. You guys know who I was, but on the way to Damascus, I heard a voice, and it was the Lord. He said, Paul, Paul, it's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he got saved. And what is that proving? Paul's salvation is a demonstration of the power of the gospel of Christ and how that it has the power to change a life, even someone like Paul. You see, the gospel is a demonstration of God's power. The church being filled with new converts is a demonstration of God's power. You know that the more people that we can fill in this place, and, and I understand that church isn't about numbers whatsoever, but the more people I believe that we fill in this auditorium, the more of a demonstration and testimony it is to the gospel of God, proving that, hey guys, look, it does and it can change lives because look at what we have here. And you and I are just an example of it. I just want to give you really quickly symptoms of sin sickness. I want to give you symptoms of sin sickness so that you can really see what it is that God has saved us from. Well, number one, the symptom of a sinner, an unbeliever, sin sickness is emptiness. Without meaning, a life without meaning, fear of death, lack of inner peace, loneliness. And a lot of us who are saved now, I truly believe, have, have had one of these things that I'm listing here. Emptiness. Life without meaning, fear of death, lack of inner peace, loneliness. The sin disease reflects itself through many symptoms in our society, yet Christ takes care of more than the symptoms. Christ and the gospel of Christ is the cure for these diseases. Like in Luke 19.10, the Bible says that all unbelievers are lost. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Speaking about the unbelievers, you and I. Uh, uh, unbelievers are perishing. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, which means that they already are, but have everlasting life. That uh, the unbelievers are under God's wrath. John 3.36 He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not on the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. All qualities, just by the way, just again, these are all qualities of an unbeliever that Christ can cure. John 3.18, how unbelievers are condemned. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Unbelievers are without hope. Ephesians 2.12, 
that at the time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world, blinded by the devil. There's a lot. Second Corinthians 4, 3 and 4. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, there it is again, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Their unbelievers are on the road to hell. Matthew seven thirteen. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way, that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. And number 13, uh, unbelievers are dead already in sin. Ephesians 2, 1, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Many, many qualities of what the Bible teaches you and I used to be, you and I used to have. And all of these symptoms, all of this disease of this sin-cursed people can be cured through the gospel and power of Jesus Christ. The gospel demonstrates God's power to change lives. And we are all living testimonies that the gospel, it is the power of God, because God has saved us all from the very same things that I just listed. All of us. He has saved us from the very same things. It is the power of God. So why was... Why did Paul have so much confidence in the gospel of Christ that it just caused him to just have a desire to go and preach it? Because number one, he wasn't ashamed of the gospel. Number two, because he understood it's the power of God. Number three and last, it reveals the righteousness of God. Not the righteousness of man, but look at verse number 17 of Romans chapter number one. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed, speaking about preaching the gospel of Christ. From faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So it shows the world a holy God that they have to meet one day and what this holy God expects from them. It reveals the gospel of Christ reveals the righteousness of God. It shows others who they will one day have to come face to face with and it shows his holiness and what he did on the cross. The Ten Commandments should be brought up in the gospel. I don't know how many of you guys have preached the gospel, but whenever I, I, I preach the gospel, I try to bring the Ten Commandments because it shows the righteousness of God. And what he expects, a lot of people think that they can get to heaven by their works. Bring up the Ten Commandments and you'll see how quickly they'll fail at that. Why don't you go to Romans 7 with me real quick here. Romans chapter number 7. A couple verses here. Romans chapter number 7. And look with me at verse number 7. Romans chapter number 7 and verse number 7. Speaking about how the gospel of Jesus Christ reveals the righteousness of God and what he did for man. And the Ten Commandments, Romans chapter 7, verse number 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I, for I had not known just or lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. But sin, taken occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law, sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. Verse 10. And the commandment, which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. For sin, taken occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it slew me. And then the key verse here, verse 12. Wherefore, the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. And when we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, it reveals his righteousness to this world. That they do have a price, a, a payment that needs to be made, but that God has paid that. In Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
And so it shows, the gospel shows the righteousness of God. And just to finish off, we need to be preaching the gospel to as many as God will allow us to. We need to have the confidence that the gospel still works even in a time like this. It still has the power to change a life. And so my question tonight as we finish once again is do you have confidence in the gospel still? Have you given up on it? Do you think that, you know, we're just all doomed, there's no use in preaching anymore because no one's going to listen, no one's going to accept it? Or do you truly believe that the gospel still has the power to change your life? Because if you do, well then you can say what Paul said, I am ready to preach the gospel. I'm ready to do it. And I have a desire to do it. Why? Because I believe it works. And Paul had been preaching to so many people, I'm sure he can give name after name of all these people who he had led to the Lord himself. And that just brings more confidence. And I just want to encourage you, as we talk about visitation as well, you know, sometimes because many people I truly believe who haven't ever gone witnessing, who've never, who've never themselves led somebody to the Lord, and it has nothing to do with us, but it's the gospel and power of God, the gospel of Christ. But sometimes because we've never experienced seeing a soul saved right in front of us, we, we don't really have confidence in it. We doubt it. But I, I promise you, and I've seen many people, because God has just used me, nothing to do with me, and I'm sure many of you as well, but the more you see people just bowing their heads and accepting Christ as their Savior, the more you're just going to want to keep going and going and going because the power of the gospel still works. Do you have confidence in it? Let it drive you to preach it. We should have confidence. We should let the confidence in the gospel drive us to preach it still. And so as a result, I plan to give the gospel out, and I plan to do it with confidence. I'm not going to be wimpy about it and say, well, you know, Christ died for you. No, Christ died for you. And if you trust in him, he can change your life. He can make all, all things pass away and make you a brand new creature. You, you go out, you give the gospel, and you do it confidently, trusting in the Lord's timing that it's going to work. The Bible says that the word doesn't return void. And I plan to reveal the righteous, righteousness of God through how I preach and through how I live. Let's pray.